Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, would you grab it, please? And I'm going to ask you to turn, as you saw, to the book of Jonah. Um, no shame. If you've got to go to the table of contents, go ahead and get started. No shame in that. Uh, if you, it's nestled, this short Old Testament book, between Obadiah and Micah. So if you get to Micah, you missed it. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, I want to take a few minutes, uh, as we had a, we'll have our scripture reading in just a minute with a new book and intro, I've got a few things to talk about, it's going to, uh, to kind of uh, lay the, the, the groundwork for this book. I am excited about walking th- through this short Old Testament book, and it's going to take us right up to uh, Easter, uh, we're going to finish it on Palm Sunday, and I'll explain more about that why in just a minute, um, but the story of Jonah, uh, many of you heard about it, maybe you've seen Veggie Tales back in the day, I don't know, maybe sometimes it happens, with the exception of the children on stage, most of them, they were, I think they know the story, they probably heard of it, it is probably arguably one of the most well-known global stories, whether you love Jesus, like Jesus, know God or not, you talk to somebody on the street and say, hey, do you know the guy in the Bible that got swallowed by the fish or the whale, they'll probably tell you Jonah. But the kind of story kind of stops there, and we see there's so many amazing truths today as we're going to walk through this. Um, some would argue and say, I don't know, is it true? Is it something that really happened? You know, for me, I look at this and I think, you know, this is not even probably in the top some of the things that are hard to believe. We're going to celebrate at the end of March, Jesus rose from the dead. There's so many biblical accounts that we just kind of think, we, man, that, by faith that's true. But some would look at this and think, well, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a story. Some throughout history have said, well, maybe let's talk about this. Is it a story? Is it, a, is it an allegory? Is it a parable? Uh, is it something that we just kind of have, have this, this fairy tale story that's supposed to teach us something else? But make no mistake about it, Jonah is historically true. It, he happened. It happened. And a couple things, I have a lengthy introduction here, so bear with me. Uh, in 2 Kings, we see him presented, and I just want to set the tone for this whole series uh, of who Jonah was and what he did. Let me read this to you as we get going. 2 Kings 14, in the fifth year of the Amaziah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, there's some good names here, king of Israel, became king of Samaria. And he reigned 41 days. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not turn away from his sins of of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which which had caused Israel to commit. Verse 25. He was the one who restored the, bound, the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai. That's going to come up in today's text, the prophet from Gath Heifer. So we see this historical figure named Jonah was a prophet, as Dev said, a faithful prophet. A prophet who was speaking to people on behalf of the Lord. What God told him, he told the people. What God wanted others to know, Jonah would proclaim that. One of the things he did was he preached that Jeroboam II fixed Israel's border that was weakened in these conflicts with Assyria, and it kept Israel from being destroyed, and all of these happened. And one of my favorite, I can't go through all this, but in Matthew chapter 12, this is just me, I, just, I kind of geeked out on this this week, and it'll come up later. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus himself says this, Some of the Pharisees of the teachers of the law, they wanted a sign, and Jesus answered them and says, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now catch this, this is awesome. For as Jonah was was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, for they repented At the preaching of Jonah, spoiler, we're going to get there later, 
And now, mic drop moment for Jesus, and he says, now something greater than Jonah is here. I look at this, and Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. In Luke 11, he's going to say the same thing. Everybody's looking for a sign, and he's telling them, he likens his resurrection to the story, the true story of Jonah. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus himself is going to powerfully tell this story and, and liken it to, to, to this historical figure of Jonah, then I'm going to buy into this as well. So by the time we get to Jonah chapter 1, this prophet has, has done ministry success. He's done a, a great portion of his life living faithfully for the Lord. Talk about the kindness. And one last misnomer before we stand to read our text is this. We only got six verses. It's going to go, well, kind of quick. Some look at this story, and I've heard this and I've seen this, that this whole story is for pastors. This whole story is for people that are called to ministry that are rebelling against calling to serve somewhere. And so they use the story of Jonah because it's for the prophet to talk about what's for those that are called. And that's not the case. One commentator put it this way, Jonah is the person who had experienced the grace of God but fails to tell others about it. All of us can and must relate to him. He is a rebel against the Lord's word, which calls everyone to tell others about this great and loving king. So that being said, I'm going to ask you to stand. Joe is going to come and we're going to read our text. We're going to look at six verses today um, and look at this rebel on the run. If you would, Jonah chapter 1, we're going to do 1 through 6. Joe will read it, then we'll pray. We're going to jump right in this and cover it together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After praying, paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish in the, in the, from the Lord, to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Amen. Let's pray together. As we do every week, we'll take just a moment to pray for yourself, pray for me, pray for uh, our time together as we walk through these verses that God would change us and shape us, that we can learn about our God, that we can learn about ourselves. that there's areas in our heart that are rebellious that we can uh, repent from and come back. But you pray and take a moment and then we're going to walk through this text together.
God, we're grateful to be here. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to come and sing songs to you and about you. And I thank you for those that are here. And uh, God, for this time that we have, would you speak through me, God? I, I, I say it, I, I mean it when I say it every week. I can't change anybody. I can't even change myself. I need your help. I need your spirit to move. I need a, a willing heart to do that, Lord. And if that's anybody else in this room, God, would you just speak to us and change us today? May today not just be a, a business as usual of coming, listen, learn, and leave, and, but that something amazing might happen in our hearts today, beginning with mine. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to jump right into it. Jonah, chapter 1, look at the first two verses. We see Jonah, uh, the word of the Lord, verse 1, came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to this city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. Now, I need you to stay with me. There's, there's some things we can talk about in this, this amazing story, and there's so much more to it than just next week when he's in the fish's belly for three days. We'll talk about that. But here's this thing. Jonah, son of Amittai, which means son of faithfulness, has been given a call to go to these people of Nineveh and preach to them. And he rebels and doesn't want to do this, but it helps us to understand Nineveh, this great city, city, excuse me, which historically a great a metroplex, if you will, was huge. Jonah says later that it took it could take three days to walk across it. That it, you could it was big enough where you could ride three chariots to, to to cross its walls. It was huge in architecture and singers and culture and all of these things. It was this big urban city, if you will, but it was a wicked, wicked place. Now look at me this morning. There are some things I can't tell you about Nineveh because there are children in the room. There are some things that they did to people, women, and children, and all of these things that I cannot even talk about in this room because it's just too graphic. There are some things that they did as far as trying to make an influence of people. They would stack bodies and heads and all of these things at the edge of the gate so that anybody who comes close to Nineveh knows, you mess with us, that's what happens to you. They were a wicked, wicked wicked culture. And if you go through this and you read throughout church history and you read through the story of what, what happened with Jonah, this Nineveh was so wicked and graphic and the unspeakable things they did, this is the people that God said, go talk to them. Now, if you know a little bit of history in the Old Testament, we can see Nineveh's, one of their primary targets was the neighbor to the south, which was Israel, which means, now this is important, please hear this, that means Jonah and his people were no doubt victims of the wickedness of this city. These, or they are the people that God is saying, go preach to them. And Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm not going. Now, let's cut him some slack. I was talking to somebody this morning, like, we, we have a hard time if somebody says something about us or wrongs us, or if you hear something. This is somebody that, 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 is, that God is calling to go preach forgiveness and repentance to a people that has physically assaulted and hurt and wickedness and all of these things, and Jonah doesn't want to go. We see Jonah's heart is rebellious. He doesn't want to do this, and so we can cut him some slack, and it's, but we're no different there's times when God calls me or calls us to say, hey, go ask for forgiveness. Go ask for repentance. Go build a relationship. Go tell them about Jesus. Go do this. Stop doing this. And in our hearts, we rebel and we can say, no. I can tell you all the things in my personal story, but I guarantee you, you might have your stories too when God does something or says something and you don't want to do it. 
You say, God, I'm not going to do that. And we can cut him some slack here because we see that this is a tough task. But in his anger, his frustration, his hard heart, his inability to love and forgive, it causes him to rebel. So we see this tone set up of Jonah, this, this faithful prophet that has done well. It speaks to, the city, to all these people on behalf of the Lord. It's called to talk to a wicked people that Jonah just doesn't like. And I'm going to tell you this. You can flip later. It gets even more dark. You know why Jonah doesn't want to go? It's not even because he doesn't like them. Do you know why he doesn't want to go? It says later that I don't want to go because you're going to forgive them. You're going to love them. You're going to give them grace. They're going to repent and they're going to come close to you. So Jonah's heart is so dark that it's not just because I hate those people. I don't want them to get close to you, God. I don't want them to know you, love you, or be given grace or mercy, and you're going to do it. Now, can we all agree, that's a pretty dark place to be in. Have you ever hated somebody that bad? Have you ever disliked somebody that bad where God calls you and said, no, I don't care if they go to hell for life. I don't care what happens. I am not going to do that. That's the heartbeat behind this. We see Jonah rebels. And look at verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, this is important stuff here in verse 3. Who's Jonah running from? Help me out here. Who's he running from? The Lord, right? He's running from the Lord. It says it a couple of times. And, and twice in verse 3, Jonah's running from him, from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is not just a little out of the way. He runs the opposite direction, 1,500 miles from Nineveh. Jonah is out. Peace out. I'm done. I'm out. I'm running away. He's actively, this is important, he is actively trying to ditch the Lord. He is actively trying to put himself in a place where God cannot and will not get a hold of him. He realizes that the only way to escape this obedience of the Lord's command is to escape him altogether. And it's a dark, desperate place. I've seen this church, I'm going to tell you this, I've been in ministry for 21 years, I think. I've seen it. I've said this a couple of times. I've seen it in youth. I've seen it in adults. I've seen it in families. I've seen it in this. When people disappear and things are going well, and then all of a sudden they vanish. Life changes. Bad decisions happen, and people start making bad decisions in their life, and they start struggling, and then all of a sudden they push away everything of the Lord. They, they disappear from church. They disappear from small groups. They disappear from friendships. They disappear. Why? Because they do what I did in the course of my life, where I do not want to put myself in a position where God's going to get a hold of me. It is self-preservation, where God calls you to do or to stop or to be in obedience to that, and you make decisions that are opposed to that. You're rebelling. The last thing you want to do is to find yourself in a place where God might get a hold of you. I used to get heartbroken in youth ministry when I did this, and kids that would show up, and they would be there, and then all of a sudden they disappear. And I knew why. I was that why. I remember when I was making bad decisions as a kid. Newsflash, if mom's listening, I didn't make all the greatest decisions in the world. I, was, I struggled. There were times when I didn't want to go to youth group. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to go listen to something, and it had nothing to do, even though if I made a comment about oh, they don't like me, or they don't like this, or it's boring. I, I didn't want to hear about Jesus. Why? Because he's going to call me to do something that I probably should stop doing. He's going to ask me to repent. He's going to draw me close, and he's going to want me to change. And Jonah is feeling this weight. He is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. This faithful prophet is trying to get away. 
and all those stories of, of times in life when we just vanish and disappear. Jonah is this rebel, just like my heart. And your heart. We can rebel at the most basic level. I like how J.D. Greer put it. I, put, I have a couple of quotes from him because I love how he commented on this. J.D. Greer says this quote. He says, you are never farther from God than when you're close to him and you say no. You are never farther from God than when you are close to him. He says no. So God told Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. He says no. We are called, of course, there's the two-pronged approach to this. Yes, it's evangelistic to share Jesus, to do these things, but also in all courses of life that God calls us to live. Everybody says no to God unless you don't sin. Anytime we choose sin, we don't just stumble into it. When we choose sin, we are telling God, no, I'm not going to live your way. I don't want to do that. In relationships, maybe it's in wealth or possessions. Maybe it's sins that we need to confess. Maybe it's in the church. It's maybe a time. It's God's calling you to, to do something or to stop something or to leave something behind or step up and to lead. And something in verse 3 that jumped out, and this is important, and if you have your Bibles, underline it. There's a part in verse 3 where it says this. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship. Now, I've missed this, and this is something in my study that God just kind of spoke. It is interesting that so often in life we find ourselves in the, in the most random places. You see, Jonah found a ship that was going to take him right where he wanted to go. Jonah's heart was, I don't want to do that. I want to run. And he looked and he found a ship that was going to head for Joppa, which was the complete opposite of where he wanted to go. I mean, opposite of where he was supposed to go. He paid his fare and he did it. And what God kept speaking to me this time is like, you know what? We all have ships that are waiting for us. Satan loves to have a, have a boat ready for you and me. Greer said another comment. He said, if you want to run from God, there's always going to be a ship ready to, Tarsh, ready to take you to Tarshish. You have an enemy whose role is to, quote, ready the ship for your disobedience. Now, this is going to sting a little bit, so I, there's nothing about this that's not, that, that's not easy. But you could go through a laundry list of things if there's things and enticements that Satan loves to come in and say, there's an out of your disobedience. Sins to be justified. In stories that I read about, people, hey, you want out of a bad marriage? Then God's going to bring somebody else along. You want, you want to, to be disobedient in a situation? Then he's going to allow you to tolerate greed, withhold forgiveness, don't share Jesus, don't do this, don't serve, don't go, don't run. That boat is ready to be jumped into, and Satan loves to get us to convince us. Sometimes he'll even make us think it's something that God's given us peace about. See, Peter tells us that the, there's, to be alert, that there is an enemy that prowls around looking for someone to devour. And you could go back to Genesis 3, with Adam and Eve in the fall, we talk about this all the time. The enticement to sin. The first temptation, he assured the woman, it's okay, the forbidden tree is good, it's good for food, it'll make you wise, you won't die. Did God really want this? God's holding out on you. And maybe it's just me. The times in my life where I get to my hard heart and I justify things, and if we're not careful, we could even say, well, I feel a peace about this. I feel a peace about not sharing Jesus with somebody. I feel a peace about, I don't really need the church anymore. 
I, really, I feel a peace about this lifestyle that I live. It's, I'm, I'm good. Me and God are good. And just like that, that's where, please hear my heart, that's where Satan comes in. And I've got plenty of boats that God, excuse me, that Satan wants to tempt me with. And you probably have boats too, that there's a boat ready right there to jump into. You want to live in disobedience? Then just, ju- it's real easy. Justify it. Claim to have a peace about it. It's okay. It's too hard. And he's going to convince us, just like Genesis 3, or just like with Jonah, that there is a boat that is ready, and we have an enemy that wants us to get into it. We have an enemy that loves to get us to jump in. That's why J.D. Greer, I have three quotes of his today. It's just a lot, but he says this, don't, let, don't look to peace in your hearts as a guide for your life. Look to God's word. Peace in your heart can change based upon what you ate or what kind of mood you're in. God's word never changes. Would you agree with me this morning? If there was a boat ready for you to jump in that might be disobedience, that God is not going to give you a peace about something that contradicts his word for you. Would you agree with that? That God's not going to give you a peace or a comfort in your spirit that's going to say, yes, that's okay if it contradicts his word. But make no mistake about it. I, I think all of us, we all need to be prepared. And would we look at our own hearts? Because I've got areas in my life where I disobey God. I know you do too. And if we can just learn something today to say that I can be aware of those boats and I can be aware of those things that Satan wants to put right in front of me, just jump in and get away. That that's what Satan wants us to do. Jonah got in this boat. And please hear this. It took him right where his heart already wanted to go. And when Jonah made that decision, his rebellion brings about two consequences. I'm just going to give you two of them today because I want to be quick. Look at verses 4 and 5. His rebellion, just like ours, Jonah's rebellion, it invites God's wrath. It invites discipline. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind of the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship began to be threatened to break. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Now, push pause. These guys are pagan. They're so desperate, they're calling out to whoever. This God, this God, this God. These are sailors. They do this for a living. They think they're going to die, so would you agree that the storm's pretty bad? Okay? It's pretty bad. So they're all crying out to their own God. And they threw cargo over to lighten the load that maybe it wouldn't sink. But Jonah, what did he do? Took a little nap. Jonah went down, or had gone below where he laid down, there's some words there, and he fell asleep. So picture the scene. This massive storm that comes that these sailors are going, we're about to all die. Everybody's going to die. What are we going to do? These pagans are crying out to God to try to be saved. Now, do you hear, do you see Jonah's heart again? If there is one person that should be scared to death, it would probably be Jonah. The prophet who speaks of this God, this creator, this made everything, that knows everything, who probably knows that God is coming after him. But Jonah's disobedience, his saying no, his jumping into that boat, it invited the discipline and the wrath of the Lord. Now here's the thing, church, let me be honest with you, we don't like to talk about it in church. Wrath discipline, God doing this, we, that is not a very preachable context. We like to, we like to preach like other things in, in the American church about, well, it, it be okay with that. If you want to live this way, God loves you. Don't, grace, love, grace and love. But God's not going to call you to live a way or disobey in a way that's going to contradict his standard or his word. He won't do it. In Jonah, his rebellion, it invited, it brought discipline. Just like when the children's sermon where when we disobey, there's discipline. 
There is wrath for sin. Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from, uh, from heaven against godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth of God for all wickedness. Now, we know the gospel. We know the story from the old and the new. We know that Jesus came to pay that penalty for sin, to pay that debt for sin. It's not a free pass to live in sin, though, right? Would you agree with that? It's not a free pass to say, well, I'm going to rebel. I've I'm I'm prayed a prayer. I've been get, I'm baptized. I can live how I want. God's grace and blood covers all of it. I'm good. No. If you have kids in the room, you understand that. Our kids, when they rebel, it invites discipline, and there has to be instruction. And this is a hard pill to swallow, and there's nowhere else to put it. But in this story, just like other biblical narratives, God is prepared. God is prepared to break the ship, drown Jonah, allow the sailors to perish, all in response to Jonah's rebellion. William Bake says this, Rebellion never escapes God's notice. And it is foolish for men to think that we can resist God's will with impunity. The Lord, may, the Lord may let a man go to a certain point before he steps in, but when he does move, he moves with no uncertainty. Now, I admit, and I'll say this, that this is a, it's difficult when you see this because it would preach a lot more palatable if we could say that, man, God just loves everybody. God just wants you to do you, and you be happy. That makes, that's fine. God's grace has come up. There are consequences that we can be saved by grace through faith, and we are, that we are sinners. And when we sin, it's not just a free pass to keep going. That moment where God steps in and God, Lord willing, breaks our hearts and convicts us, surrounds us with people that can love us and help us and say, where are you going? Here in my heart, church, where, where are you going in this boat that you just jumped in because you wanted to? Praise God for the gospel that we, in our sins, are forgiven by grace, by the blood of Jesus. And we can say yes with, with, with acclamation that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is eternal condemnation, yes. But a life in rebellion of somebody who knows Christ would long and hope at some point to be corrected. These sailors were terrified. They're crying out to their God. They're throwing people off. and they're Well, not yet, but they're throwing stuff off. And where's Jonah? He is down. He is asleep. Verse 5 says he went down below deck. He laid down in sleep. Earlier he went down to Jonah. There's lots of wordplay. This idea of sleep was not just like a catnap. He's in a deep sleep. Same language that we used with Adam in the garden where he went to a deep sleep. He woke up without a rib. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. There's a lot to consider here. Something you could talk about later. Why do you think Jonah went down below and went, went to sleep? Any thoughts on that? Why do you think he did? Did he not care? Was he just trying to get out of it? Was he trying to just avoid the things and the consequences? Was he oblivious to it all? We don't know with specifics about why he did that, but we know that he did it. I can tell you from my life and stories of people that I've worked with that are struggling through things that there are times in life where, you ever said this, where you know you're not walking with the Lord? Hear my heart, please. And you're struggling, and sometimes it's just nice to just, just want to get, go to sleep, and you just forget about life. And go, you're numb. You just want to go to bed. You just want to sleep. Escape the world. You're convicted. God's working on your heart, and you're, just, you're fighting that. You're rebelling against that. You know that God's calling this, and you're just physically and spiritually numb and exhausted. That is my belief of what's going on with Jonah. He's just exhausted. 
I don't think he just doesn't care. I think he's numb. I think he's trying to just avoid all of this. Spiraling out of control. Jonah's rebellion moves God to action. Number two, quickly, number is verse six, last verse. Jonah's rebellion, it affects other people. Look at verse 6. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Lowercase g, God, by the way, he's not sure. He just says, Whatever, whoever your God is, we'll try it. Let's just try it. Let's go. Maybe he'll take notice so that we will not perish. We've done all we can do. We've called on every God that we can. We've done everything. We've done all. We've done everything we can do. But maybe this guy underneath the boat can come and call on his God and maybe that'll work. Now we'll get into the details of that next week, but I want us to see this, excuse me, that sin devastates. Sin, disobedience, it affects other people. Put it this way, like you don't sin in a vacuum. You don't just sin with no consequences. You see, Jonah was this prophet whose job was speaking on behalf of the Lord and here he is in this moment what an opportunity. Wouldn't it be a special moment if right there the story stopped and the story's like, okay, yes, I messed up. I'll come back. I'm sorry. Let me tell you about Jesus, or excuse me, God. He will forgive you. He's coming. The Messiah will come. Let me tell you all about hope in God. Let me tell you that. No, what does he do? We'll talk about that later. But he is asleep. He's upset. At this point in the story, he's okay if everybody dies. His disobedience will affect others, just like my sin and your sin. If I sin, it affects my family. It affects my children. It affects this church. Your, fam- your sin, it affects everybody around you. It does not happen in a vacuum. There are consequences for sin. It happens. If you look at it through the vein of this, and I'll land the plane and we'll be done. You know, I told you that this story could be taken through a two-pronged approach. It could be all about evangelism, all about he's called to share Jesus. But I think more generally, all the areas of life where God has called us to obedience, and we rebel, we find that boat, we jump into it, it takes us where our heart wants us to go. That our disobedience, it affects other people. There are people in our lives that maybe God's asking us to share Christ with, that maybe our lifestyle will contradict. There are people that we're to invite to church, invite to worship, share Jesus over and over and tell them about the hope of the gospel. And I read this story, I saw it online, I don't remember who the pastor was, but did this illustration. I would never do it because it would backfire on me and I would totally mess it up. He had a fishbowl on the stage, maybe you've seen it. I don't remember who it was, to be honest with you. It was this big fishbowl on the thing, he had a table and he reached it and grabbed the fish and he put it on the, on, on the table. And the fish started fluttering around. He said, this is kind of cruel. And he did it. And he stood back, and you could hear the gasp in the room. People were like, oh, my gosh. Like, I almost couldn't watch the video. I was like, I can't watch this. Like, I, I can't do this. And this fish is fluttering. And you could hear voices in the background. Then he grabs it. He grabs the fish and puts it back in there. And he says, I saved it. His point of this whole story, he said, he said, some of y'all care more about that fish than people in your world that are going to hell without you talking about Jesus. You're so worked up because a fish is going to be mistreated, but we have people in our lives that our lifestyle or our words or our lack of sharing Christ, that they have eternity set apart for them in hell without Jesus, and we care more about a fish. And I just thought that was very fitting for today where Jonah, at this point, he doesn't care. So today, as we look at this story, as we just look at this rebel on the run, we can all be rebels on the run. We all can struggle with disobedience. We all can struggle with living in disobedience and saying, God says, go this way. We're saying, I want to do this. 
And it might land on you two different ways. Maybe there's stuff in your life that you just know in your heart that that's not fitting of the Lord. And God is calling you and saying, that's not, that's not what you're called to. That's not what you're supposed to be. But you keep jumping in a boat and you keep going. It's hurting your family. It's hurting your church. It's hurting your relationships. It's hurting anybody wanting anything to do with Jesus. Stop getting in the boat. Come back to me. Maybe there's some that you're like Jonah, that you have relationships that are struggling in their heart, and you're thinking, man, I've been wronged, and I'm just, I don't want to forgive, I don't want to love, I don't want to try, I don't want to do, I don't care. It might land different ways, but my, my prayer as I close is this, is that it's not a matter of if, let's just level the playing field, every one of us, unless you don't sin anymore, this sermon is not for you, but if you sin, if you still struggle, if there's still a waging war that's going on, every one of us, if we're not careful, we have to fight against getting in those boats that God calls us to a standard and God calls us to do things, to obey. Speak about Jesus, tell him, and we say no. And like I said earlier, you might be so, there's nothing more distant than being close to God and telling him No. And the invitation is this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to be done, and we're going to sing our song. But I'm going to ask you this. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands or do anything, but I just want you to bow your heads for just a minute, and let me just speak this last part to you. I get it. I, I kind of geek out on this stuff. I get excited about the Bible and the text and what things, because, but I'm, I'm convicted by this probably just as much as you are, if not more. This is for everybody in the room. My disobedience might look different than yours, but we all are there. My question for you today is this, before we sing our last song is this, is you know, you know in your heart and there's areas of your life where God is saying to do this and you're thinking, no, I want to get in that boat and I'm going to go this way. It could look different for everybody and I don't even begin to want to illustrate that. My request is this, is that we would not run like a child to a parent, that when they find themselves with this one, that we would not run and hide, that we would come to the father, come to the mother, come to the family, come to the, and just work it out. Hebrews 10 tells us that we can draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, and we can have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly, to the hope that we profess because he who promised is faithful. The invitation is this. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever your boat is, whatever your disobedience looks like, come to him. Talk to him. Confess to him. Be broken for him. And don't allow that rebellion or that boat to take you where your heart wants to go. I just want you to pray for just a minute. The praise team is going to sing the song. And I just want to give you a moment. I know it's kind of heavy and it's a lot just in the first six verses. But just as you sit and pray, you can stand, you can sing, you can come down for prayer. Whatever you want to do, they're going to start singing. This is your time. Take a moment. Confess your heart. Ask him to reveal what's going on. And whatever it is, would you obey?